Geek News Podcast. This is episode 21, I believe, of the Global Geek News Podcast, which, of course, you can always follow along, check, read through all the stories in the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. As always, of course, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my wonderful co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Hey, Jeremy. Things are going great. Yeah, that's good to hear. I hear it sounds like you've been busy lately. Yeah, uh, things at work have been crazy. Uh, my team is a little bit smaller this week than it was last week. Um, not going to say why. <laughs> um, and um, I think today, or I think this week at least, it's finally everything has totally settled from South by Southwest, and it's totally out of my hair. Yeah, it, things seem to be settling down a little bit around here too or at least they were until my grandmother decided to start using a sander on the trim around the house and hitting the window which made a noise that about drove me insane and did that for over an hour but otherwise things have slowed down to a nice pace around here which is kind of nice so I can get back to working on stuff that I wanted to work on for a long time yeah, there's a big lull waiting for summer to hit, and uh, it's almost outdoors weather to, well, at least here in Austin anyway, to, to go hit the river. Yeah, it, it's been real nice around here. I, uh, yesterday we had a fair bit of snow, but it was a real wet snow, so it melted right off. But we've, it's been fairly warm around here. The only issue we've had is we've had tons and tons of wind. I I don't ever remember a time when we've had this much wind as we've had in the past several months. I mean, it, it's... I mean, at this point, I'm starting to think we need to put some some of those wind farms around here and make some money off of all of it. So you said it's been warm, but you've had snow. Uh, what's warm? Uh, 70s and low 80s. Okay, but, but snow... Yeah, just yesterday, we I don't even think we were supposed to get much of anything. They said there was just a small chance of us getting snow, and it ended up snowing for a good part of the day yesterday. Oh, wow. When I went to church up at church, they by the time we got out of church yesterday morning, they had, I'd say it was close to four inches of snow, but here in town, we didn't... There was It was mixed in with a lot of rain, so it never really had a chance to really stick it just kind of melted as soon as it hit but but it it snowed huge flakes pretty much all day yesterday wow so you had a, a white easter <laughs> yeah it's might as well have one white holiday i don't think we've we had a white christmas in a couple of years i don't think so it's better than nothing and it's been so dry around here lately that we've really did the moisture but anyway, yeah. enough weather talk. Let's. Mm-hmm. Oh, one thing before we get into the stories. Um, for those that have been following my Twitter, you know that I got a Kindle 2 a little about a week and a half ago. And I will be putting a review of the Kindle 2 up hopefully tomorrow on the Global Geek News blog, which is globalgeeknews.com slash blog. Or just go to the homepage and hit blog, and that'll take you there, too. Hopefully, I'll have that up tomorrow. I'm also thinking about doing a uh, video review of it 
and sticking that up too so you can either watch it or read a review of it it don't matter but that's what I'm looking at for that so make sure to look out for that you can follow me on Twitter and you'll know when it goes up same with friend feed but anyway let's go ahead and get right into the stories apparently 83% of businesses won't be deploying Windows 7 within the first year of release I gotta say, yes, this apparently is... this was a. Go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, apparently, there was a, a survey taking of IT professionals asking if they're going to deploy it in their company. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised by this, considering how much everyone seemed to, at least in the corporate world, seemed to hate Vista and didn't want to go to it, and with. Microsoft ending main, mainstream support of XP tomorrow, it kind of surprised me that this that they have no plans of moving in the next year, especially with how the glowing reviews it's been getting and how well it seems to be compatible with everything with the beta, which I ha- haven't noticed any problems. I think I've only had one blue screen on the beta, which I haven't had that in a while on my Vista machine either, but that's still kind of nice for a beta. Yeah, I think this is just using the the same tried-and-true formula for for formal uh, enterprise IT, is that you don't deploy anything corporate-wide until you have a first service pack. And I think it's just following that same rule. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly the issue. I think they're going to wait until they get Windows 7 in their hands enough to play with it for a while, and I don't know if they'll wait for a service pack or not. I think it probably is going to end up depending on their initial impressions and what they figure out from when they just start getting it and playing with it when it first ships. Although I'm sure a lot of them will still be waiting for service pack 1, but at this point, I don't even... I've been messing with Windows 7 since it came out, and... I really don't even see any reason to wait. I, If the beta didn't expire, I would have it running on my main machine right now. The question is, has the IT, uh, in IT department and all these companies prepared for 7? Because I, I heard there's a lot of issues with compatibility problems of old software running on Vista. But 7 is using the same code base as Vista. So the question is, have they tried to migrate some of their old software to run on Vista, a.k.a. Windows 7, or do they say, oh, we'll just stick with XP and just left it at that? I wonder if they were preparing for the future this whole entire time, or they just threw their hands up and saying, we're just staying with XP. Uh, I guess time will see if, if they have found a way to get their old software to work on this new platform. Uh, I, I would certainly hope they would have been preparing for it all along. And from what I hear, Windows 7, and I haven't used much in the way of older software with it, but I hear it's uh, far more um, compatible with older stuff than Vista was. But at the same time, with main with support ending for XP, and I'm not I don't remember for sure how much longer security updates and stuff are going to be coming to XP once the security updates stop stop, especially in these corporate environments, you pretty much have to move whether you like it or not, because otherwise you, you're, that's a huge liability, having an operating system that isn't getting security updates anymore. 
Yeah, and then a few days ago, sometime what last week, they said that they're going to allow grades from Windows 7 to XP. And so they they have to support that in some way. Yeah, I, that was... I can't say I really like that move too much. And it seems like they're mainly doing it for netbooks and stuff. But even that, Windows 7 runs amazing on on netbooks. That's what I have it running on. And it runs, I'd say, probably as good, if not better, than XP has ever run on it. I, actually, I'd say it's actually runs better and it gets a whole lot better battery life than Vista does or I mean than XP does yeah from everything I've read there's been nothing but benefits over XP and Vista going over to Windows 7 Um, but it could be like they said not to play in the first year it could be just they're just not ready and they haven't been getting ready and with a lot of cuts that we've seen with uh, you know, staff reductions and, and and budget reductions. It could be that they're just trying to patch things and keep ship uh, afloat, and and um, they just haven't had time to focus on what's next on the horizon, or it's just going to take them that long to prepare because they've had bigger fires to put out. Yeah, I, I think with the economy the way it is, I think that a large part of it could end up being it's just not in the budget to upgrade right now when what they have works well for what they're using, at least for now. Yeah. I I, I see that this is uh, kind of slanted towards a negative with the story, at least the focus of it. Mm -hmm. But it says I, I think one is that being an IT department, they're probably more conservative. Uh, right now, since it is still in beta, it's still kind of an unknown quantity. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of lessons to be learned and a lot of certifications to to be uh, to, to be gotten before something of this magnitude uh, gets rolled out. And also it could be that they're running they're waiting for the next version of uh, Windows Server because usually a year after the client operating system is released, the server, operating system is released a year after that so it could be that they're waiting to see what kind of uh, integration uh, they can see they can get from having those two deployed simultaneously yeah that's one thing I haven't heard much about is what's supposed to be different with the next uh, server operating system so I'm curious to see just how that plays out yeah and how robust the the, the um, migration tool set uh, will be between going from server 2003 over to whatever the next server operating system is. Uh, if it's not there, if it's going to cause a headache, then it's not going to be worth it. And hence, it, it may be a reason why not to deploy a new client OS if the server OS is uh, going to be old. Because you don't want incompatibilities that direction either. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is just kind of a wait and see approach in the end. And Hopefully it's for the best. Yeah. Either way, I think everybody's going to say Windows 7 is going to be a success, no matter if companies deploy it or not. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that aren't too successful, apparently Twitter, which has been having a mountain of issues over the past week anyway, 
apparently was attacked with a worm over the weekend, and it's apparently been infecting hundreds of accounts, last I knew. Yeah, this phase, this this uh, gradual rollout, uh, deployment of this worm anyway, uh, is in its fourth iteration. And uh, this this is, I wonder if there is any price associated with this, because most companies, when they get attacked, they said, we lost X amount of money. But Twitter has no business model, so can they say that they lost any money from this downtown, down, uh, this downtime? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. Supposedly this worm that came out is similar to something that hit MySpace, I think, last year. But I, I've never even heard much in the way of an actual name of it. I'm not sure what the difference is between all the iterations, but originally you had to visit some website whose name I can't think of, and then you would be immediately infected just by going to the website, and then it would infiltrate your Twitter account. And if anybody goes to your account page, then they would be af- infected, and so on. And I, it doesn't. From what I've heard, it doesn't actually seem to do anything malicious at all. It doesn't change your password or anything. It just seems to post some tweets to your timeline, and that that's all I've seen it do. So it, it yeah, seems one like big it's more of an annoyance more than anything. Yeah, one lesson to learn from this is that uh, don't click links, even from people you trust, without having a nice, secure environment and browser. Because I know I've gotten to the habit of seeing tiny URLs or shortened URLs, and just say, "Oh, well, uh, I want to read this article and click it," because even if I mean, that person's, even if you trust them, that person's account could be compromised. And you never know. Yeah, that's. I try and run things as securely as I can. I've, I do the firewalls. I do the antiviruses occasionally. I'll turn off scripting and whatever, just depending on what I'm doing. But I've I've never been infected with anything like this. But I, there's certainly a big problem around using services like Tiny URL, Bitly, the new dig URL shortener and whatever just because you can't tell unless you have I think there's like some Firefox extensions and stuff that can reveal to you where that link actually goes but unless you have those you don't necessarily know for sure what link it is you're clicking on for all you know it could be Goatsy or something like that and you wouldn't know until it's too late (laughs) yeah that'd be a awesome feature that I would like to see using the web UI. I mean, they've made a lot of changes with their web UI. Um, just like in an email program, I would like to hover over a tiny URL and see uh, it resolved at the bottom. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the website usually tells you when you hover where mm-hmm. it's going. I, I wish they would do the same with, with the shortened URLs. Yeah, so would I. I don't know. I haven't... I don't think I've yet gotten any of the Firefox extensions installed for resolving some of those so you can see what it is that it's taking you to. But I think that's something I'm definitely going to look into. Also, you might want to check into something I'm trying to think what it's called. I think it's called Sandboxy, that you can put your browser and stuff in a sandbox so that way, even if you do get something really nasty in on your browser, it won't affect your system at all and you can just wipe the sandbox clean and start over and 
you and there's no ill effects from whatever it is you ended up getting. Yeah, private browsing probably should would help with this when uh, that comes out later on. And um, I also sometimes use a portable apps program, like a portable Firefox, for for anything that might be questionable that I wouldn't mind blowing that uh, instance of Firefox away. And and also it keeps it siloed, so I don't use that that portable browser uh, with any of my banking sites, so none of my passwords, history, or anything are on that browser. And mm-hmm. that that's my own little way of sandboxing um, uh, yeah. myself. I think for... If you're really concerned about security, I think the closest thing you can get to real security without going completely overboard for using stuff like your bank and stuff would be to use like a just boot into a Linux live distro because then it's just running on the CD, does not touch your hard drive at all, and if even if something does happen, reboot your computer and you're back to what you normally have and you have no issues whatsoever. Plus, with the right. Linux live distros, most viruses and worms and whatever aren't written for Linux, so it couldn't, it wouldn't be able to touch you anyway. Or you can run that in the virtual machine, and that should help too. Yeah, that too. But, and I'm trying to think of a transition to the next story, but it's not coming to me, so we'll just go straight with the headline. Apparently, according to a report from the New York Times, the founders of Skype are looking to buy Skype back from eBay. No word on what price, but eBay, of course, has been kind of looking to offload Skype for quite a while because they overpaid grossly for it with $3.1 billion back in 2005, and they just haven't been able to find a real strategy for it or any way to integrate it into eBay or any of eBay's sites, so I guess now the and the founders of Skype are wanting to buy it back, because apparently I assume that means they know what they want to do with it. Right, and I heard, well, some rumors that I've heard is that they're trying to buy it back at half the price they sold it for, which would be an awesome improvement, and uh, I mean, uh, uh, an awesome investment, that they're able to basically get paid um, uh, get paid to take it off their hands and invest that money and then buy the same resources back. Um, also, I th- I'm not sure if we talked about it here, but they're saying that Skype is the number one uh, long-distance carrier? Yeah, I think that came out of... Oh, was that about a month ago I think that story came out? Yeah. And so it, I don't understand how. I think eBay's problem with Skype is they try to uh, bring Skype in and to uh, melt it into their current business model. I think they should have counted Skype like NBC uh, treats uh, GE, and uh, GE makes fans and turbines and engines, and NBC is. A television station. They they are two separate businesses, and they don't try to merge each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, eBay never had a real plan behind buying them anyway. I I, mean, I think there was the initial thought of, well, you could use Skype to call the 
people who you bought an auction from and broke out details or something like that, but that was never really something that was even needed. So, I and I, I think I don't think eBay even knows much of anything about the whole telecom industry, which which is why I never thought they should get into it in the first place. Yeah, but uh, Skype is still no slouch. It's not a, no, not a, a weight around eBay's neck. It's not like it's going to take the company down with it. It's doing okay by itself, and eBay is doing okay by itself. So if I was eBay, I wouldn't sell Skype, but I would just find another way of propping both businesses up, not necessarily depending on each other. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm curious to see how this works out. I would say that of the rumors of people that I've heard interested in buying it, anything from the founders to Google, I think the the founders getting it back is probably the most likely out of all of them, assuming they can get the money together. I think that they have the most potential of getting it, although I'm sure eBay yeah. will look for the highest bidder, probably. Yeah, a good meld would probably be Skype and PayPal. Those two are seem like they go hand in hand. I don't understand why those have emerged closer. Yeah, there, I would think that there would have been a little bit more integration in between the two, and it kind of surprised me that there never was. Yeah, if they could just use that as a payment type, um, and I mean, they're a bank, and they would be able to keep some of the transaction costs. Uh, that I mean, with with all the Skype in and Skype out minutes, I don't see why those aren't merged. Um, make it easier for people to buy minutes and and to uh, recharge their account. But I mean, I, I'm out, I don't work for eBay, so I don't know what's going on back there. Yeah, well, I'm curious to see what happens with this. I've, I've got a feeling that one way or the other it'll probably end up sold off within the first half of the year would be my guess. That's that's just kind of an estimate. That's Rumors had it between the end of last year and the first half of this year. I'm seeing as the last half of last year is already over, I'm going to stick with the first half of this year. Right. Question is, will this be good or bad for either Skype or eBay? Because uh, maybe some things might come out of this separation. Does Skype then explode and be uh, very, uh, very huge and a big mass in the telecom world, or does it flounder and die because it was relying on the lifeline or the money or the cash infusion from eBay? Um, the separation will probably open up a lot of doors and also pull back some curtains so we can see exactly how these two businesses did run. Uh, when they are separated. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure that whatever happens, it'll probably be better for Skype than it will for eBay. But eBay's got its own set of problems that it needs to deal with right now because eBay's business has been way down for quite a while now. So I think that they need to get rid of pretty much everything they can right now, or at least everything big like Skype, and focus on how to fix eBay. I think that's what their goal yeah. needs to be at this point. Yeah, eBay needs to get, if, if eBay wants to stay or afloat and take advantage of this down economy, they should probably get into estate sales. They should probably get into corporate liquid, liquidation. What would happen if 
uh, CompUSA said, you know, we're going to liquidate our stuff in the store, and you can go to our eBay site and get our stuff for really cheap. I mean, I think that would be a great strategy for eBay. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some ideas out there, and, and they've got their hands in a number of different things. Like, they've got different sites like Rent.com. I believe they own Kijiji, I think, which is a Craigslist competitor. It's just they don't seem to focus on any one thing and enough to do it well. I, I I think that's their real issue. Yeah, it's like they put the company on autopilot and just left it. Yeah. Well, speaking of CompUSA that you brought up, apparently it's coming back from the dead with 30 retail stores, I guess. I think most of them are going to be in Florida, I believe, or in that general area. Let me see if they're listed on their site now that I think about it. Yeah, from reading this site, it's saying that they're going to have bring basically the online comparison and bargain bin to a brick and mortar. Uh, in this article, I think it even states that someone got a 32-inch uh, HD TV for $200. So that sounds like Black Friday every Friday, or or deals galore every time you walk in the store. And I know that that personally will will bring me in just to pop in just to see if there's anything on sale. Yeah, I've heard about how much people are loving the new Comp USA. After those that don't know or didn't hear or whatever. When CompUSA died, shortly after that, it was bought out by Systemax, which I'm, you may or may not know owns TigerDirect.com. Well, after it, they closed all their stores, or at least, I think they kept a couple of their stores open, but um, they kept the website alive, and now that they seem now they seem to be kind of reversing things and opening stores back up. At this rate, it's only 30, which is nowhere near, I think, the 212 or 216 that they used to have. But it's still something, and from what I hear, it's quite the experience now. Now it's not... I don't know, the last time I was in a CompUSA, I used to go to the one in Colorado Springs all the time. It it was always... It wasn't very well lit. It was kind of small, but they still had a ton of stuff. But at the same time, none of the people that were working there were kind of on the, like the same level of stupidity as Circuit City and Best Buy employees for the most part. And they had like two checkout lanes, and it took forever to check out. And if you go there on Black Friday, you can count on spending at least three hours there. But from what I hear, a lot of that's changed now. And apparently now you can even, when you go into the store, pretty much anything that has a monitor has an internet connection. So you can do some price comparisons. You can apparently you can even use Facebook and Twitter if you want. And this I guess this is just kind of a way of getting people in the store and allowing them hopefully with the intent of do I want to buy this product going and or do I not want to and going online and checking reviews and stuff on it. And that that's kind of what they're aiming for is getting people to check out the reviews in the store and then kind of use that as a point to try and sell more product. Yeah, it sounds like they're trying to 
make it a more welcoming atmosphere and a place where people go just to hang out and hopefully they'll buy something. So it sounds a lot like the coffee shop model. You, you come in, uh, you may or may not buy something, but you can get all the free Wi-Fi you want. Same thing. Yeah, it, that, it, it seems like they're, I, I think they coined it Retail 2.0. It seems like it's just a whole new attempt at doing retail and it's doing it in a way that no one's ever really tried before on a large scale and seeing how it works and I've got a feeling that it's going to work really well and from what I've heard it is working really well well it's it's they're not doing something that people don't do already at least the people who are in the know mm. uh, especially with the Android phone you see something you're like oh I wonder how well it's that that product is or I wonder if I can find it cheaper and they look up the barcode and see what they can find this is they're just taking what people are already doing and just saying hey we know what you're doing we know uh, that this is something that's important to you. How about you ha- use our internet access? How about you go and 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 try to see if you can beat our price? And they're just putting it out there for everyone to use. And then people who haven't heard about it saying that is an awesome idea, but the people in a know saying I already know it's an awesome idea. That's because that's what I I do. And so I think this is tailoring the business to the company. I mean to the customer. Um, and I think this is a great way of looking at this, and I hope all the other companies follow suit. Yeah, I was just looking at the locations. majority of them are in Florida. It looks like there's three in Illinois, two in North Carolina, one in Puerto Rico, and three in Texas. But I I think it's the whole strategy largely revolves around the Internet. I think if you can get people in there and use it so they can kind of compare prices compared to well I think a lot of it is going to be based around uh, impulse shopping and uh-huh. when you get these imp- these impulse shopping especially when you get these prices um, that supposedly they're offering and you can look them up and see oh wow Best Buy is a whole lot more expensive That I think that's kind of what they're going to be um, getting a lot of their sales from because from what I've heard, apparently the they're going to be offering everything at the same price that you can find it on TigerDirect.com, which of course SystemX also owns because apparently they're all the TigerDirect uh, warehouses are going to be supplying all the CompUSA stores. I hope this also expands their portfolio of what they offer because um, some of the fringe high-end. Uh, tech stuff, also um, some of the cables, like SCSI cables and stuff like that, that you usually can't find in the stores. It would be nice if they could uh, have more variety in their stores. Yeah, that was the one thing I always had an issue with with CompUSA. The one in Colorado Springs, it had a lot of stuff, but when it came to actual computer components, it was they didn't have a whole lot. And they were about the only place around where you could be able to buy motherboards and processors and components like that. I mean, everywhere you can get RAM and hard drives and stuff, but they were about the only ones in both Pueblo or Colorado Springs, with the exception of some smaller mom-and-pop type shops, where you could get the motherboards and processors and uh, having a wide range of power supplies and stuff. But even then, they would only have a couple of different motherboards to fit a certain socket 
or whatever, so there mm-hmm. was no, um, there wasn't a whole lot of options there. It was just kind of, if you needed something and you didn't have time to wait to order something online, you were, were stuck with maybe one board or another board, and that's just kind of the way it was. Yeah, I wonder if they also have this the site to store, or you know, you order online and you come pick it up in the store. I mean, I wonder if how closely they're going to merge those two businesses, or they're just going to distinctly try to keep them separate. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they ever did that for when the store was in Colorado Springs. I, I only it was to go up there is about fifty miles, so I would only go up there a couple of times a year. And usually that was just when they had something on sale. But I I don't know. Mm. Well, one store that did have a website to store locations and, and shipping was Circuit City. And it looks like System Max bought them too. Yeah, this one, I was really kind of shocked when I heard this story. System X, which, like I said, owns Tiger Direct and CompUSA, apparently today went through and purchased the Circuit City brand, all the, um, basically everything left in corp- with that revolves around the Circuit City name, as well as the Circuit City domain name, all for $6.5 million, which this... I'm kind of wondering if this could be what they were hinting at last week. Did we we did talk about the um, possibility of Circuit City coming back on the last episode, right? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, I thought so. I'm wondering if this is kind of what it meant by the possibility of CircuitCity.com coming back is that Systemax is taking it over and bringing it back to life. Yeah, with it's. With brand names like Circuit City and with CompUSA, the question is, are they going to keep them two distinct brands? Uh, it would be nice if they had one be ultra-high-end and one be more mainstream to, to so they don't compete against each other. Yeah. Well, I think, to me, at least around here, Com- CompUSA always had a much more geeky feel to it as to where you could get some more wide-ranging computer parts and software and stuff compared to Best Buy, where theirs was more focused on entertainment with DVDs, music, and TVs for the most part, with a small selection of games, but nowhere near what CompUSA had. Yeah, this is a strange move when everyone's getting out of brick and mortar. Well, I should say everyone, but Microsoft isn't. Um, that they would actually make a play to, to, to for these stores that are going out of business instead of just you know just say hey we're opening up a system max store and this is how it's going to be um, so they obviously want the name they they want the brand recognition but the question is does the brand mean anything I mean they did go out of business yeah well depending on what they do with this and just how much they expand comp USA. Best Buy could be in real trouble here. I mean, I think the I think Best Buy is kind of in trouble anyway. Even though their main competition, Circuit City, has gone out of business, I think if they do well, I think 
we could even see Best Buy going out of business within the next two or three years if Systemax is able to leverage these two or three major properties to compete against Best Buy. Well, one thing I can I can uh, say from personal experience is that one thing that Circuit City and CompUSA did well was corporate accounts and dealing with POs. And I think that's something that that Best Buy still has an issue with. So if they can learn with, if they can take everything they learn from the Tiger, Tiger Direct brand and bring that into the the brick and mortar space where people can say, hey, I, I needed to get some such and such and just come in and get it. I think that is going to be a huge, huge blow and a big threat to Best Buy if they can rally large businesses to use Circuit City and CompUSA for all their business IT needs. Yeah, I th- I think it's going to come down to a race of who can hire all the geeks first and, and hire all these people that know about TVs and computers and, and instead of just hiring these people that know absolutely nothing and give horrible recommendations and end up hurting the customer more than helping them. I think that if you can get all of those intelligent people and provide that ex- experience and expertise, I think that really gives you an edge over anybody else. Well, as I say, it is a hire's market. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm kind of curious to see what happens with this. This should be interesting to see. I I would say that they're going to bring this at least circuitcity.com back online within the next couple of within the next few weeks to month or two maybe retail stores i would say they'll probably start bringing back circuit city retail stores within the next year but i don't know that for sure that's just speculation yeah i haven't heard i haven't seen any signs saying now hiring but they're going to need to gear up and get their people trained before the back to school season hits if they miss back to school, then they're missing. They're leaving a lot of money on the table, uh, so they're going to need to get in there and make sure they get themselves established and get their people trained up and uh, get the word out before people start buying computers to go off to college. And um, and, and and that's going to be a, uh, a huge advantage if they can get a, a big percentage of that crowd. Yeah, uh, I think part of that crowd is already kind of died down. I know, at least in my case, when I went off to college, when I graduated high school, that was when I was getting my major stuff, like my uh, laptop and stuff. I think I got that. Actually, I ended up getting that, I think, like a week or something like that before I actually even graduated high school. And I think a lot of major purchases, like laptops and stuff for college, end up being more graduation presents that happen around graduation time rather than right before you go to school so I think they've already kind of missed that boat a little bit there's still a huge uh, market out there especially for people that don't like to shop until the last minute like me but I I think they've already missed a big part of that but we'll see how that plays out I, I think that's when it's good for them to have Tiger Direct, even though they can't get the retail side of stuff open just yet. Well, I think major product launches happen around the back-to-school time, because, I mean, 
I mean, look when when Windows Seven's supposed to come out. Look when uh, the new iPhone's supposed to come out. Well, a lot of different processors and consumer electronics are going are going to be released around then. So um, I, I would say that it's still a surge in purchasing will happen around back to school time, and of course with you know, with when Windows Seven comes out, we're going to be talking about new uses models with the touch screen integration and and um, it all that is, is going to need, require new hardware. So uh, people may just be holding off on their purchases if they knew if they know all the stuff is coming. Especially when you're talking about something like the iPhone, people know that it's going to come and they might wait. And I think the same might be true with computers. Yeah. Well, at this point, I don't know how much how worth it it really is to wait because with Windows, with Microsoft not saying when XP is looking to be released, personally, my speculation is uh, released to manufacturing around September. I don't have any inside information on that. I tried to get some, but couldn't come up with anything. But I don't know at this point when there's no way of knowing when something like that's going to happen I think a lot of people are just going to go ahead and buy stuff rather than wait yeah I think they're kind of learned, they learned from this is saying it's ready and then they had to pull it all back and re-architect the whole thing um, I think they're just doing the opposite ex- extreme in which they're not waiting until they say hey it's going to be coming out next month um, yeah. but from what I've heard that the bits are pretty much baked and they're ready to go and everything is just minor fixes. Yeah, I believe they have the release candidate one coming out sometime next month. I don't remember the date of when it's rumored to be coming out, but I don't know. It, it seems just a little odd to me that they don't even say, well, we plan on releasing it in the fall, which even then gives you quite a open window there, or in the winter or something like that. Instead, they're just kind of hoping for it to be by the end of the year which I'm sure they'll reach that, but not giving any idea, it just seems a little bit strange to me. Uh, I think that you're just taking taking a note from Apple's playbook and trying to be secretive, and this might be something that they say, hey, it works for Apple, let's do the same, and when you criticize us, at least we can point to them. Uh, I think they're just trying to say, hey, it works for them, let's let's steal that. Yeah, doing stuff like that has always been something that's really irritated me, and for this I'll use Sony as an example. A lot of the times when they get ready to have a drop on a price like the PlayStation or whatever, they will deny that there's even talk of price talks up until the day that it actually happens and the second that it's actually announced. And I... I've never been a big fan of that just because you end up with people like the day before it's actually announced that paid a much higher price and ultimately got screwed because they didn't know that they should wait a day. Yeah, that's because they feel they can take advantage of people and that people will still buy it after the price drop. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of backlash and scorn, even for Apple. Remember when they dropped the price of the iPhone uh, what, two months after it was released? Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's a real gamble to play that game. That that's why I've never really cared for it. Yeah. 
That's the the, the, the deposits you make over the years. Uh, you can only take so many withdrawals, and if you don't make enough deposits, then you're going to go negative and uh, be def- def- deficient. And I think Sony is is realizing that too of that of how much how much they have uh, making made withdrawals from that bank after making some deposits early, and 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 now I think they're suffering. Yeah. Well, speaking of Sony, apparently they're looking to start offering some of their movies for free, full-length movies on YouTube, which I'm not sure YouTube necessarily offers the movie-watching experience that I would want for some of their movies, but supposedly they're in talks to get some full-length movies ad-supported, I'm sure, onto YouTube. Yeah, this is awesome and bad at the same time. Uh, awesome because I always love content streaming, especially if it's free. The bad thing is, I think YouTube is bought is the bad place to put it. YouTube doesn't is not set up for this. It, it it's mm-hmm. it's it's hard to browse when you're looking for. Let's say I want to watch a comedy. I, I don't even know where to start. Uh, mm-hmm. I I think if this is going to happen, they're going to need to revamp their UI. Yeah, they're they're going to have to do something because. If you're going to watch a major movie on there, you need to have kind of a more of an, a, like a Hulu-like experience as to where you've got the button there that you can turn down the lights so you're not distracted by all the comments and everything else that's on the page, as well as having different things, like being able to even turn off the comments or whatever, just something that gives you more of a clean experience that you can actually focus on the movie instead of all the other busy stuff that's going on on the YouTube page. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what their ad model is going to be. I wonder if it's going to be what YouTube is currently, or uh, I mean, put ads on the side, or are they going to put pre-roll, post-roll, mid-roll? Uh, I think Hulu currently does uh, mid-roll for their movies, which is a little annoying. But um, because it seems random how they put it in there, because they're not made for commercial breaks inside of a movie. Um, mm-hmm. If YouTube can find a way to make uh, make it less obtrusive, um, then they could pull a lot of viewers from Hulu, at least for the movies. As long as they get rid of that stupid lower third advertising on YouTube, I, I would be very happy at that point. I don't care if it's pre-roll, post-roll, throw in a one or two during the movie, whatever. Just get rid of that ugly little lower third they have there. And I'm not going to stop the middle of a movie to click on some ad in the lower third and go buy something somewhere. If anything, they at least need to do like they do with their music and have like a little link to Amazon down below the video where you can actually go and buy a DVD or Blu-ray version or whatever of the movie that you're watching. Yeah, it, it, it's it's that balance between making money and getting something for free. Um, what I wonder is, is uh, I know Boxy currently shows YouTube content. Will this mean that uh, Sony is going to try to pull YouTube from Boxy? Uh, I would say that could be a good possibility. I would hope not, but I I would say that the possibility is certainly there. 
Yeah, YouTube is pretty pervasive in different devices and um, and, and how they show, show and share their content. Um, I wonder if any of these agreements are going to make YouTube more restrictive in general uh, or if um, they're just going to be as free with that content as they have been with, with their own. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to know how much... YouTube is going to be paying Sony or anybody else that tries to do this per view of the movie compared to what they pay for a view or a listen to a song that's on YouTube. Yeah. And what kind of content is this going to be? 30-year-old, 20-year-old content? Or are we going to get something that's uh, close to, to like within the last three years that someone would actually want to watch? Yeah, I'm trying to look up right now how much, I can't recall off the top of my head, how much YouTube pays per time someone listens to a song. I want to say it's like eight cents, so I'm kind of curious to see if they're going to, maybe, it seems like maybe it could be more than that, but I'm thinking it's eight cents per uh, view, but I'm kind of curious to see if that's going to be the same model that they're going to use but yeah I'm kinda, I'm also going to be curious to know what the content's going to be if it's going to be newer movies or older stuff I would think it would probably be more older stuff just after mm-hmm. when you look at something like Hulu and all the video on all the movies that it has I'd say 90% of the movies on Hulu I've never even heard of they're certainly not new major blockbusters right but one thing is with Hulu, the advantage is when you want to watch something, you say, well, I'll just go to Hulu and find something to watch. I don't do the same thing with YouTube. I don't say, I want to watch something and then go to YouTube and see what's on there. YouTube, I get linked to it uh, because of there's no... It's not a good browser of content. So I'm guessing this is something YouTube, uh, a.k.a. Google, came to Sony... And made an offer than the other way around. I bet, at the, I bet YouTube is paying paying a uh, Sony a pretty penny to get that content on there, and it's going to be very, it's going to be little to no risk to, to Sony. Yeah, well, I, I think the amount that they pay for streaming stuff like music videos and stuff, I think that's really the reason that Hulu doesn't seem to be making any money. I mean, YouTube, excuse me. I think that's the real reason that they don't seem to be making any money is just because of how much it is that they're paying for it, which I'm sure has got to be more than other streaming sites like Pandora and stuff pay to stream music. Yeah, and and um, in the story they're also talking about how uh, they uh, have a deal with MGM, uh, and I I can tell you I remember when that deal went through but I have heard nothing of it since and this might go the same way in which they make this deal and a tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it and so can they capitalize on this I don't know can they can they actually make this into something I don't know who are they trying to compete with I don't know where do they want to take YouTube 
I don't know. If they want to take YouTube to be a, a content powerhouse, then they need to re-architect it to be a content powerhouse. If they're just doing a Me Too thing because of Hulu, that's not a business model. That's a copycat model. And um, they just need to find their own place. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. But um, speaking of media that, in this case, you probably shouldn't be getting... Um, Apparently, France has slapped down their proposed anti-piracy bill, which was apparently the first real attempt that people thought that were, was going to pass for the whole three strikes rule for pirates. Software pirates, not actual gold right. and major ship pirates. Yeah. Yeah, that's very uh, un-American of them. <laughs> yeah, I I've I've been paying quite a bit of attention to this one because supposedly they thought that they had the votes to get this through easily. Then it was shot down by a fairly wide margin. Although President Sarkozy is promising to have a revised version ready in the coming weeks, I'm kind of curious to see if that does any better than what this one d did. Yeah, I I doubt it. If he thought he had the votes and then it failed. What was it that was of contention that would allay the fears of the people who voted it down? Um, every country that we see something like this pop up, it always seems to either get defeated or if it's passed without being a committee, has some very, very strong outrage that causes it to be that causes it to be recalled or reconsidered. Um, the, the the internet's free and people want to keep it that way no, no matter if it is the right thing to do that's all debatable um, but the truth is that laws like this are going to be hard pressed to get passed unless there is like a 9-11 moment for the internet which I'm not sure if there is I mean there was that movie release Wolverine but I st still don't think that is uh, that that created enough outrage for laws to be passed so uh, until there is an internet 9-11, the laws like this will continue to be defeated. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to look for a survey that I that was on Torrent Freak not too long ago about it was kind of revolving around this whole three strikes idea, and if whether or not if you were sent a warning from your ISP or the RIAA or MPAA or FP or whoever that you were um, illegally downloading some kind of content, if you would stop, or what it was that you would actually do in response to it. And if I remember right, it seemed like the vast majority of people would... Or, and, of course, this is coming from Torrent Freaks, so this is a community of pirates. But a lot of them would, rather than stop, would just up their security measures or ignore it completely. I'm trying to find that uh, poll. Also, I mean, uh, who reads letters anyway? <laughs> if it's not a bill, I usually throw it away or just pay it online. And so, and how can you confirm that the person who's doing it in the household is the person getting the letter and gets informed? I think that's it's too casual, uh, and and it's not. And, and there's no way to confirm that the person gets it. Uh, unless you call me on my phone and say, hey, this is what's going on, 
a letter won't do it. I don't know if they try to say it's more weighty because it's in writing, but me, it's totally the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the letter wouldn't do anything to me. If I would just ramp up my security measures. I'd probably turn on Peer Guardian 2, and I'd probably start using maybe a VPN and whatever. I mean, it, if they sent me some kind of a warning letter, I I wouldn't care in the least bit. And with as yeah, much I, as I, I would think it would be generic. Yeah, I mean, with as much and as much as I've torrented over the years, and I've got a couple of terabytes worth of stuff, I'm to an extent I'm kind of surprised I haven't gotten anything yet. But I would probably kind of have a pirate bay attitude toward it and make fun of the people that sent me the letter. Yeah, unless the letter said, "Hey, we detected you downloaded blank on blank," uh, I would say, "Okay, well that." I know I did that. You know, just like a credit card statement. You spent this amount of money at this location at this time uh, on this product. Unless you give me something that detailed, I won't even consider reading it. I would just throw it away. Mm-hmm. So, and if they then subsequently turned off my access saying, I have a contract. I pay you money. You give me internet access. That's That's what we signed. You signed it. I signed it. And I would sue them for breach of contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I finally found the link to that uh, story on Torrent Freak, and out of the looks like eighteen thousand five hundred eight people that voted in it, only um, a one thousand one hundred and eighty three of them would obey the warning and stop sharing. Everybody else would either. Ignore the warning, carrying on as before, which is 14% of the votes, or they would ignore the warning and carry on with more caution, or take steps to hide their identity via VPN or some such service. Yeah, and the way the community is, it's going to be. A, a, it, it, the community is going to move faster than a slow ISP and be able to counteract any any try, any attempts to thwart what they're doing. Yeah, well, I've always kind of noticed that in the end, the pirates always win, and I, I think that's kind of a lesson that Sony's kind of learned the hard way with the PSP. Whenever they put out a new firmware and try to change something so that the that it the pirates can't play ISOs and stuff. With usually within the first day, the firmware's been decrypted or whatever. And within the first week, it's been hacked and are, and you're already running custom firmware on it. To the point that I think Sony's just about given up. With the exception of the PSP 3000, the latest version of the PSP, in which case I think they put some extra checks in there. But again, that only affects the newest one, and it was hacked as of, was it last week or maybe the week before that it's hacked and running homebrew already. But I think when you're playing against pirates, it's just a losing game. Yeah, you can't keep information secret or private. Uh, It's going to find its way out. What they should do is just tailor their business model to embrace it, kind of like the the CompUSA story that we said about the, having the internet on all the computers there. I mean, people people are going to do it anyway, especially if it's to their benefit. You just need to find a way that it's mutually beneficial, 
and and then tailor it that that way. Yeah. Well, speaking of trying to keep things private, apparently a court now says that whatever you post on MySpace isn't private. Apparently, um, what someone posted on their MySpace, they were ranting about how much. Apparently, this girl uh, Cynthia Marino. Apparently, she was ranting about how much she hated her small hometown, which is a town in California. I don't remember what town is. It is, uh, but anyway, apparently sounds like Kalinga. Yeah, something like that. But apparently, a local high school principal happened to come across what she ranted about on MySpace, and then submitted it to a local newspaper, as in under the. It was one of those um, letter to to the editor kind of things, as to where it got published in the paper, and then she ended up getting all kinds of, like hate mail and threats and everything for it. And according to the judge, when she tried to sue for invasion of privacy or whatever, if you post it on MySpace or presumably anywhere on the internet, it's at that point public and it's not considered an invasion of privacy. Yeah, I have a. Uh... One word for that, duh. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's pretty obvious. <laughs> and and um, apparently things got so bad though that uh, her parents had to move and leave the town. But this also is funny how it kind of proves that her town is pretty crappy. <laughs> if they got so outraged that they had they they kicked them out. Yeah, I mean I don't know how much I've done it online, but. I'm not sure, other than decent Mexican food, I'm not sure that there's a, a whole lot that I have nice to say about my town. But, I, we've never, and my whole family's the same way, and pretty much everybody I know is the same way, and, and says the same thing. And, but there's never been any kind of outrage over it, even if it was printed in a local newspaper or whatever. It seems like these people just kind of went a little bit overboard. Yeah, it's a very interesting story, but uh, it's it's only a technology story because it's on a MySpace page. I think uh, mm-hmm. uh, the question we really should be asking here is why is she still using MySpace? I think that's yeah. the heart of the story. Yeah, or why anybody still uses MySpace for that matter. But, yeah, exactly. Well, and I guess she was trying to sue for like um, emotional distress and whatever too, which I, apparently I think those that claim is still pending but it seems like what she really should have been going on was some kind of copyright claim because if the if it's the principal that took it all and then submitted it to the newspaper it seems like she would have some kind of a uh, copyright infringement claim on what she wrote well I guess it all depends on how well it was cited or how it was cited if it had all the citations yeah I I don't think the, as I recall, it seems like in the newspaper it showed her name as writing it, and I don't think there was any real mention of the principal that submitted it. Mm-hmm. But either way, she didn't give permission for it to be displayed there, so I would think that would be an, a violation of her copyright. Yeah, well, hopefully she learned her lesson. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, things you can read, 
apparently Barnes & Noble, the major bookseller, which I'm sure most people know about, is thinking about jumping into the e-reader market to compete with the Amazon Kindle. Yeah, this sounds like they're trying to roll with the big boys, and this is a bold move. I mean, it's some so they they looks like they're in talks with some some uh, wireless carriers to see if they can use them as their backbone for their e-reader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think they've got to do something to stay with the times and try and get ahead of the game because I think that the e-reader market is going to keep growing. And I'll probably go into that a little bit more in my Kindle review. But Gizmodo made a great point in that if we've learned anything from Blockbuster, it's that you need to keep up with technology or you're going to go out of business, which I'm sure Blockbuster will be out of business by the end of the year. If they look at all the stuff that the that people say that they wish they Kindle their Kindle could do, uh, like easy uploading of free content and um, maybe a decent web browser. If they learn from that and make a different, uh, a better e-reader, that that'd be great. But I hear a lot of good things about the Sony e-reader, and so I wonder if they couldn't do just a partnership with an already established player in the e-reader space. Yeah, I, I think that would probably be the cheapest way for them to do it. But I, I think if they could have a reader and then have their own service similar to what Amazon does, I think they can provide their own experience and have a more valuable proposition for selling their both the reader and the content on the reader. Yeah, I wonder, will they just be selling the same things that the that Amazon store is selling? I mean, they're all the same books that people want to read. Uh, maybe they'll be the... Uh, Amazon MP3 store to the iTunes model and try to get just try to undercut it and be more free with the content um, with uh, the with you know not a lot of e-readers in the space uh, I'm I'm, sh- I'm wondering whether or not a, a content provider will provide uh, their own content for cheaper on a less popular platform why mm-hmm. why would I you know, sell something cheaper to something that's not popular. Why when I just go to the de facto standard, which is kind of like the the Kindle right now? Yeah, uh, I think there's certainly ways that they could fit in there. I think if they had a color e-reader, something with some color and a color e-ink display, I think that would certainly put them above the Kindle. I think that's the one thing that the Kindle really lacks, but. I think also, whenever I go into Barnes & Noble, one of the things I always notice is they have this huge wall of magazines and stuff. I think if they can leverage those and use those on an e-reader and make those more pronounced than what has on the Kindle, which is a very limited selection of um, magazines and newspapers and stuff like that, I think if they could take that content and use it, Um, I think that they would be in uh, a more dominant position, I think. Yeah, they say content is king. As long as they can bring some compelling content, um, even if the device is on par with the Kindle, I think they will win. Um, But, um, you know, volume also is um, the scalability of 
ramping up a player, they'll probably either have to heavily subsidize this, or um, if maybe if they do it through an AT&T and have AT&T uh, subsidize it with uh, and have them pay for service, maybe that'll be another way. Um, they could probably, you know, if they get them on cost, they could probably scale that way too. Um, but um, I think maybe I think this is kind of a risky move going into the device market instead of just delivering content. Yeah, I, I think that one of the biggest complaints that I am constantly seeing around the internet on the Kindle is the price. And 360 is a little steep, especially when it doesn't even come with a cover, which I think when I got it was like an extra 20 or 30 bucks, something like that, for a nice leather cover. But I, I think there's room in there, but at the same time, I'm not sure how much cheaper something like that could get, especially if you're going to offer... Uh, unlimited wireless service like the Kindle does. Yeah. Um, well, if they did go for... That's one thing that Barnes & Noble could do, is if they do go for a GSM backbone, uh, they may be, be able to do a worldwide release uh, instead of something local to this country. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of a reach that uh, Barnes & Noble has in terms of of if they're global or if they're just here in the states, but yeah, I'd, I'd say there's a large potential for that. Yeah, and uh, hopefully they they're doing a thorough market evaluation before they choose to actually go in into this, or maybe they're just saying, hey, we need to just look at this as an option, and maybe they're just looking and not necessarily. Uh, plan to actually roll out something. Yeah. Well, with any luck, maybe they can be more satisfying to guys than their girl their girlfriends are. Um, in this or video story, games. Yeah. Well, in this next story, apparently this is a survey done in the UK of 1,130 British men. Apparently in relation they were in relationships i guess 72% claim that they would rather spend time playing video games than spend time with the girl that they're with yeah and whenever we talk about surveys we also have to talk about depends on how the question was asked yeah um, i noticed that one of the questions here saying on opening day like the day uh, a game is released that's where the 72% uh, come from uh-huh. um, but you know, it's the thing like you know, the day a game comes out, the day it's the day uh, with with a girlfriend there you have many other days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, you were breaking up real bad there for a second, but I think we were able to make out oh, what you said there. That. Yeah, that's okay. I, it was I guess one of those Skype bandwidth issues or something probably. But yeah, it. Well, I think it all comes down to how this question was asked, but I, I don't know. I would, I'm not sure. I would probably tend to agree with them, but then again, I'm not in a relationship, so it's a little bit more difficult for me to say for sure. Yeah, and also they said that the research was carried out by uh, PlayStation and the PlayStation Three site. And so, um, when you look at 
pardon the, the inference, when you look at the people who own PlayStation 3s, they're usually are people who are pretty avid gamers to spend that kind of money on a console uh, as opposed to someone who would just barely limp in with a Wii. And so someone who's that avid about the console, you would think that they would lean be that towards the uh, the game, gaming console, than um, than a significant other, possibly, especially if it's through a website. Yeah. Well, I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure if this says more about how good video games are, or just how not so wonderful British women are. <laughs> <laughs> They should have a picture submitted with the survey. Yeah, the closest thing they have is a picture of a PlayStation 3 controller, and I'm not quite sure that's what I was yeah. lo- hoping for. Yeah. But well, I mean, if you're gonna play, if you're gonna throw on that kind of money, you're not a casual gamer. You're an engaged gamer, and so yeah. it, it just makes sense. I mean, if you're just talking about one day or one opportunity, I mean, depending on the day, this this survey can swing. Mm-hmm. Um, in any direction, and just say like if this was worded, would you play rather play video games on your anniversary or hang out with your girlfriend? I mean, where is that? What what what, what kind of answers will you get then? Yeah, well, I think this is something where you'd have to kind of do this survey a number of different times a year, whether it's around the holidays around the time of a major game release, around the time of anniversaries and stuff, and then just kind of take an average of those numbers and then get a little bit better of an idea. But as it stands right now, it's like you said, it could change just depending on the day. Yeah. So, eh, it's an interesting number. It's a nice talking point, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, well, what can I say? I needed something to throw in for a last story, and that's what I found. So, anyway, I suppose that's all of the stories. Um, Again, for those that want to read through the stories, because of course we didn't cover everything from the stories, you can find the links to all of those at globalgeeknews.com. Of course, this is episode 21, if you're listening to this at a later time and want to go back and try and find the show notes. Um... Oh, one quick thing I want to apologize for. I don't, I don't think I mentioned this on the last show, but for show number 19, I believe, I accidentally had it marked as number 18 on the website, so if you tried to download it off the website or stream it, it was marked as 18. If you got it through the RSS feed, you should be fine, and you got 19. So if you tried to listen to it off the site or whatever, and the... And the um, the show didn't match the show notes. That's why. So go back and check out number 19. But and uh, just quickly tell your friends about the show. The show's growing in leaps and bounds, and I'm constantly getting wonderful feedback on it for changes we should make and everything. So feel free to tell your friends, your family, whatever about the show. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter, twitter.com/pcnerd37. And you are Wesley83. Wesley83 on Twitter. Alrighty, and of course you can also follow me on friend feed at I'm PCNord37 on there as well. And if Twitter keeps acting up the way it has been the past week and a half, I will be moving to friend feed exclusively. And then probably just posting to Twitter through friend feed. So 
you might want to just follow me there, and that might be your best bet at catching me. Um, anyway, if you have any suggestions or anything for the show, you can always at me on Twitter, DM me on Twitter, or you can shoot me an email, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com. Um, and I think that's pretty much about it for this show. I, yeah, I, I would say that's pretty much about it. So I, we will right. see you next time. Later. All right.